You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to History of the Second World War, Episode 97, Hungary Part 1, Eastern European Outcast. This week, a big thank you goes out to Matt for choosing to become a member. Members get access to ad-free versions of all of the podcast episodes, plus special member-only episodes released roughly every month. Head on over to historyofthesecondworldwar.com slash members to find out more. I also wanted to let you know that on June 25th, I'll be speaking at the Intelligence Speech 2022 conference. This is a fully online event where I will be joined by over 35 historians and history podcasters to discuss a wide range of topics. I'll be giving a talk entitled The Correct Wrong Choice, The Interwar Years, and Results-Based Analysis, in which I will chat a bit about how we should approach discussions about events that happened before major cataclysmic events like the Second World War. During the session, there will also be an opportunity for a Q&A, which was a ton of fun last year. You can use my code SECOND, so that's the word SECOND, at checkout, so that they know that you heard about it here. And you can find a link to register for the event or to find out more information in the show notes, or head on over to intelligencespeechconference.com to register and find out more. Over the course of the podcast, we've spent a lot of time on what I would call the big players of the interwar period. We have already had dedicated episodes on Britain, Germany, France, and Italy. They were all important drivers of European politics during the 1920s and 1930s. The only nation that rivaled their influence was the Soviet Union, which we will have dedicated episodes for next year. But there were many other nations that interacted with those larger nations and were forced to try and find their way in an increasingly dangerous geopolitical situation. What I wanted to do before the, the episode on the invasion of Poland here in a few weeks was to pick one of those nations and discuss some of its actions during the interwar years. I landed on Hungary because of its position in Central Europe, its tumultuous relations with its neighbors, its choices to enter into agreements that, it made, that made it reliant on Germany and Italy, and also because I randomly ended up picking up uh, Broken Wings, the Hungarian Air Force 1918-45 by Stephen L. O'Renner. Broken Wings will form the basis for much of the next two episodes, which will focus on how the Hungarian domestic political situation, its relations with other nations, and the creation and growth of the Hungarian Air Force all happened during the interwar period. In both the political and military areas, Hungary would be a smaller player surrounded by either larger nations or long-time enemies that also happened to be allies with each other, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. 
And it was also a nation that could look back at what appeared to be a more glorious recent past, which did have an influence on actions in this period. To understand Hungary's position during the interwar years, and I'm sure you know where I'm probably going with this, we have to start with the First World War. At the end of the war, Hungary was in an interesting position, because as part of the dual Austro-Hungarian monarchy, it had shared the blame for Austria-Hungary's participation in the war. It would break away from Austria as the empire disintegrated near the end of the conflict, but it would still be classified within the same group of nations as Germany, Austria, and Bulgaria. It would also be one of the several nations that were created in the wreckage of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and so there would be some delay between when the nation was created and when it signed a treaty with the Western nations to end the war. And this period of time would stretch from November 1918 until June 1920, when the Treaty of Trianon was signed. During this period, which lasted for about a year and a half, Hungary was an independent nation, but it was also not on friendly diplomatic relations with many other parts of Europe. This period of limbo was common among the Austro-Hungarian successor states, but Hungary was treated as an enemy nation, unlike most of the others, like Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia, which made the period one of uncertainty in Hungary. Speaking of those other successor states, they were not exactly fans of Hungary, and they all had territorial disputes with the new Hungarian nation, which made it very important that a Hungarian military was constituted and organized as soon as possible. They were able to transition their previous imperial military into a new Hungarian military structure quite quickly, but it would also become clear over the course of the early months of 1919 that this military might not be allowed to exist for very long, due to some of the clauses that the Allied nations were pushing for during the Paris Peace Conference. A critical part of the Treaty of Versailles that was signed with Germany and the Treaty of Saint-Germain-en-Laye, which was signed by Austria, was the dissolution of those nations' militaries, with it being replaced by a much smaller policing body. This structure would be transitioned over to the Treaty of Trianon, which was signed by Hungary, which mandated the disbandment of the Hungarian army, navy, and air force. Hungary would only be allowed to keep a small force of just 35,000, with many of the innovations that had been so important on the First World War battlefield also being forbidden, including tanks, heavy artillery, and aircraft. Outside of the clauses related to the military, there were also many border adjustments that saw previously Hungarian territory ceded to surrounding nations. These border adjustments were very common in the treaties of post-war Eastern Europe, but losing those areas would be a rallying cry for Hungarian irredentism in the decades that followed. Much like Germany, who experienced a similar restriction of its military, Hungary would spend a good portion of the 1920s trying to find ways that it could get around the restrictions it was now under. Some of these were difficult to work around, especially as treaty-mandated inspectors moved throughout the country. But one of the most direct ways that restrictions were evaded was through the physical movement of contraband material, like military aircraft, which would have groups of airmen who would spend their time trying to always stay one step ahead of the inspectors who would destroy any military aircraft that they discovered. A slightly more effective way of hiding aviation resources was in plain sight, something that was possible due to the growing popularity of civilian aviation. This would be accomplished by combining the previous military aviation section and the civilian aviation committee, with the combined group being placed within the Commerce Ministry. Within this new agency, most of the old air staff were placed in the air transport section and from there they were able to exert their influence on the evolution of Hungarian civilian aviation, 
particularly around the training of pilots and the acquisition and creation of aircraft designs. There would be about 100 personnel in total within the Commerce Ministry that had previously had training as military pilots. There would also be close relations between the old Air Force and the first Hungarian National Airline, which would be created in February 1920. As would happen in many airlines created during this period, the Hungarian company would inherit surplus military aircraft, as there were many surplus airframes available, with the only challenge being that most of these were not great for passenger service, but were great for other tasks, like airmail. There would be a distinct military influence on the organization and operation of the airline, with the influence proving to be a bit too blatant. After the signing of the Treaty of Trianon, the inspectors that had been allowed into Hungary to ensure they were following the treaty decided that the airline was influenced by the military too drastically and ordered it to be disbanded in December 1921. It would be quickly replaced by the creation of other airlines that were more clearly focused on civilian travel. This development, along with other actions that brought the Hungarian government into compliance with the treaty, allowed the inspectors to leave the country in April 1922. The dedicated group of inspectors was replaced by a much smaller footprint in the form of a single aeronautical inspector who would stay in the country until 1927. During the entire inspection era, many actions were taken by the Hungarian military and military-adjacent groups to, if not circumvent the requirements of the treaty, at least make their enforcement as annoying as possible for the inspectors. Here is Stephen L. Winner from Broken Wings describing some of the ways that the Hungarians tried to interfere with the operations of the foreign inspectors. Quote, if the inspection were to take place at an airfield, the gate guards would hold the inspectors outside the field until the station commander approved their entry. The station commander would invariably be hard to find at short notice. While the guards were desperately searching for him, engineering staff would make operable aircraft appear to be the useless spares, and then those personnel in excess of authorization would disappear. The station commander could then turn up, make the appropriate apologies, and welcome the inspectors to his airfield. End quote. Overall, the period of inspections and limitations was a period in which the Hungarian Air Force and other branches of its military would not exist in any physical or official sense. There were groups within the government that attempted to keep some amount of institutional cohesion, but their efforts to retain any kind of military hardware were, were usually pretty unsuccessful. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. 
The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. After March 1927, Hungary would enter a period in which they were still forbidden from having a military or from beginning any kind of rearmament program, but there was also little that could stop them from doing it if they really wanted to. It was really a matter of whether or not they wanted to draw the ire of the other signatories of the treaty if they found out what was happening. This would continue into the early 1930s, as Hungary began to once again formalize its future planning and the general military theory that, that would drive that planning. As with every other nation, they would pull from the thinkings and, and writings of others, uh, along with domestic sort of talent or, or domestic thinkers. Within the realm of air power, Captain Fenerick Centimetti would be one of the most influential thinkers due to his position as an instructor of air power at the Hungarian Military Academy. He was also one of those thought leaders that could produce a very high number of writings that could then be published. Over the course of the decade before 1941, he would be the author of a quarter of all of the articles that appeared in the Hungarian military journal, which amounted to over 100 articles in total, and they were on average longer than the other articles. With such outputs, it's easy to see how he was able to be so impactful on Hungarian air power thinking. One of the most important aspects of St. Nemeti's writings was that he could read German, English, and Italian, which allowed him to read foreign air power thinkers and incorporate their writings into his own. This included Duhay and his strategic bombing theories, beliefs that would prove to be very attractive to St. Nemeti. However, regardless of St. Nemeti's specific theories on air power, he had to contend with the fact that the Hungarian military would, for, the most, for most of the period after 1927, be incredibly resource poor with both money and raw materials being difficult to come by. The importance of air power was generally agreed upon by both military and political leaders, and discussions would begin quite early after 1927 with the Italians as an avenue for acquiring aircraft and technology to build them in Hungary. But it would take years for these plans to come to fruition, or for the Hungarian Air Force to be able to actually utilize more aircraft due to the challenges of training new pilots. In the early years of the 1930s, it was the relationship with the Italians that was critical to Hungarian military expansion, with there being conversations about many different pieces of military hardware that could be purchased. In 1930, there was a plan to buy some fighters and bombers, with the initial plan being to purchase 12 CR-20 fighters, but due to some delays in the agreement, this would be changed to also include production rights to the CA-97, a more advanced Italian light transport design. There would be some challenges in manufacturing these aircraft or any aircraft in Hungary due to some of the shortcomings that they had in their ability to manufacture engines. Engines were really challenging, and it was one of the few areas in aircraft design during the early 1930s that required true precision engineering. The right kind of manufacturing facilities had existed in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, 
but they had mostly been located in other areas that were now part of other countries. Any manufacturing challenges also made it difficult for Hungarian aircraft designs to be built and tested domestically, especially domestic Hungarian designs, not something imported from somewhere else. And domestic designs were were always the goal, to provide some independence from other nations. Just as some of the purchases from Italy were beginning to arrive, and as attempts were being made to build out the Hungarian arms industry, the Great Depression hit, with the resulting financial challenges that it brought to so many areas of the globe. The Hungarian National Bank was drained of its gold and foreign currency reserves, and there was a general collapse of the financial agreements that had been created during the 1920s in the entire Eastern European region. This made the pre-existing funding challenges even worse for the Hungarian government and the Hungarian military. As with many other nations, the upheavals caused by the financial impact would also result in a shift in government, with parliamentary elections being held before the end of their term. But unlike in other nations, this first round of elections actually allowed the ruling party to maintain a strong majority. The fact that they had called early elections would prove to be a pretty smart move, because as economic issues continued, it gave them time to try and deal with it. The problem was is that those economic issues could not be solved. Hungary had close economic relations with countries like Germany and Austria, and their challenges also continued in the early 1930s. This meant that the situation got so bad that once again elections were called and the government would fall, with a new government, the first in 10 years, being assembled. The final domino that would fall would be the banking crisis that would spread from Germany and Austria into Hungary, that would see the end of the government led by Prime Minister Bethlen, who had been in office for about 10 years when he resigned in August 1931. This was a pretty long tenure in office during these tumultuous years, But even if the prime minister had changed, the overall continuity of government was strong, with many ministers just continuing under the new leadership of of the next prime minister, with Bethlen staying on as foreign minister, for example. Loans would also be acquired via the League of Nations, which eased some of the funding constraints, but they came with certain conditions around government spending reductions. These reductions then hit the Hungarian rearmament efforts hard, as they were still being done largely in secret, and less overall government spending made it more difficult to funnel some money into rearmament funds. An immediate effect of these cuts was a reduction in the purchases that were being made from the Italians, both in terms of raw number of aircraft, as well as the total amount of money being spent. This was a setback for the overall rearmament efforts, but it was also just one of many problems that would eventually bring down the government, and it would be replaced by one led by Lieutenant General Gambesh. Gambesh was considered a right-wing radical and he was a huge supporter of better relations with Germany. But he was still asked to form a government by President Horthy. And stop me if you've heard this one before, but President Horthy put the condition on the government that it be filled with long-term Hungarian politicians who were far more moderate than Gembesh, with the theory being that they would be able to moderate his more radical ideology. And would you believe it, these efforts were not completely successful. Gimbesh would then spend the rest of his term in office, which also happened to be the last years of his life, moving Hungary closer and closer into the German orbit. Gimbesh was not the only Hungarian who supported closer relations with Germany. During the Depression years in Hungary, and all of the resulting economic challenges that that entailed, caused a growing concern among the upper-class leaders and industrialists that Hungary was on the path to revolution. This fear was solidified by both the general discontent that was apparent in Hungary, as well as the international situation, 
with fear of a communist revolution causing many political changes all over Europe. Because of these concerns, Hitler coming to power in early 1933 was seen as a really positive development, with the hope being that it would lead to a much closer relationship between the two nations. At an official level, there were discussions between the German and Hungarian governments about their plans and their relationship looking into the future. And to that end, Gimbesh would visit Berlin in June 1933. He wanted to solidify relations between the two nations and also to gain Hitler's support for the Hungarian government's territorial expansion plans. These mostly focused on Romania and Yugoslavia, both of which had been awarded territory in the post-war settlements that Hungarian irredentists sought to regain. Hitler was generally sympathetic to Hungarian territorial revisionism, but would also make it clear that Germany would provide only limited support unless it was against Czechoslovakia. Hitler would agree to some kind of economic agreement, but the details were not really discussed, and given the economic output of the two nations, it was almost certain that any agreement would take the form of exchanging Hungarian agricultural goods for German manufactured products, but it would take time for the economic benefits of the two relationship to come to fruition, it would not be until early 1934 that the two nations would sign a trade agreement, after three years of only very limited commercial relationships. The structure of the new agreement shifted the relationship from one of import and export of goods by exchanging money to instead a slightly more complicated system where Hungarian businesses would buy Hungarian agricultural products and export them to Germany where they would then sell them, with the proceeds of those sales then being used to import German goods back to Hungary. This arrangement it was initially beneficial to both sides as it gave an easy avenue for Hungarian agricultural products to be exported and it also gave Germany an import and export avenue that did not require foreign currency or exchange, which even in the mid-1930s was already a problem for the growing German economy. Taking a slightly longer-term view of the agreement, it would cause some problems for Hungary that would have the effect of constraining its ability to choose its own destiny in the back half of the 1930s. Because of the easy exchange of goods between the two nations and the drastically more advanced German manufacturing industry, some industries in Hungary became wholly dependent on imported German goods. Sometimes this was raw materials that were simply more readily available in Germany, and other times it came in the form of machinery and other precision manufactured goods. These two items were overrepresented in the armament industries due to the nature of the work, so they were even more dependent than other industries on this relationship with Germany. This dependence on Germany was a negative outcome, but it was probably the easiest path that Hungary had to achieving its rearmament goals, or even trying to achieve them. Meeting those goals would continue to be a challenge into 1934, though, as the Hungarian economy only very slowly recovered. This caused some reality to enter into Hungarian plans for military expansion. For example, in 1932, the Hungarian Air Force had been aiming for a force of 48 squadrons. However, in 1934, this was cut back due to the realization that maintaining just over a third of that number would consume more than the Hungarian budget was capable of sustaining. Maintenance costs were a problem, and they had to be considered. And this also pushed Hungarian arms purchases away from further aircraft acquisition, partially due to the obsolescence of the Italian CR-20s that they had purchased, and other concerns about how much money would have to be spent on maintaining their existing squadrons and improving them as technology changed. Instead, for 1934, funding was shifted over to the purchase of light tanks, also from Italy. 
1935, aircraft purchases would resume, with both single-engined fighters and bombers purchased from Italy. After several tests and discussions, the single-engine aircraft would be the CR-32 fighter, while the bomber would be the CA-101. Due to the time it took to do the evaluations and decide on what was to be purchased and, you know, figure out delivery, things did not really get going until later in 1935, and then they almost immediately began to slow down. The Italian invasion of Abyssinia put increasing demands on the Italian armaments industry, and therefore deliveries on foreign contracts began to slow. The mid-1930s would also see kind of a shift for Hungarian military relations between Germany and Italy, with both nations extending large lines of credit for the purchase of military goods, but the Italians suddenly unable to provide sort of what they promised. The Hungarian Air Force instead went on a spending spree in Germany and ordered over 190 German aircraft of various types in July 1936, really utilizing that credit that Germany had extended to them. This included 66 Ju-86 bombers, 36 AG-45 fighters, and a variety of other aircraft. 1936 would also mark the point where the Hungarian domestic aviation industry would be able to begin building foreign designs at a reasonable quality. Now, during all of these trade talks and foreign purchases and and foreign financial agreements and ramp-up of domestic manufacturing, the Hungarian government was still officially towing the line that it was obeying the clauses of the Treaty of Trianon, which forbid them to do any of the things that they were doing. This would finally end in 1937 and 1938, when the treaty was officially rejected and open Hungarian rearmament would begin, which we will discuss next episode.